a production of WordSouth, a content marketing company. Story Connect, the podcast, helping communicators discover ideas to shape their stories and connect with their customers. Hello, and welcome back to Story Connect, the podcast. I'm your host, Andy Johns, and we are happy to be starting off with season two of Story Connect, the podcast. Hope you enjoyed season one. Uh, We didn't exactly know what we were doing, but over the course of the 60 episodes there, we were able to hammer it out and and deliver a lot of great marketing insight for uh, telco and electric folks. Uh, We have some other great um, topics lined up. The first of which we'll get into today. My guest today is Brian Bissonette. For uh, he's worked for Paul Bunyan Telephone. And now he's a marketing supervisor. Worked there for 19 years. And uh, Brian, we're happy to uh, have you join us. Hey, thanks. No problem. We are here live. I should say, um, recording at the Minnesota Telecom Alliance annual conference in Minneapolis. So if there's any background noise, that's because everybody's busy setting up for the conference. But I had I had about four topics I want to talk with Brian about. Uh, webcams, gigabit internet, uh, online chat, and then becoming Apple certified. So we'll jump into the webcams first. That's kind of fun. Um, but uh, Brian, you are the home of uh, Babe the Blue Ox and Paul Bunyan, and uh, and also the headwaters of the Mississippi. So you guys have set up some webcams at a couple of those spaces, which I thought was a, a pretty cool idea. Yeah. Um, we uh, Actually, it's been a long time uh, at the uh, at Paul and Babe, downtown uh, Bemidji. Um, it's been our cooperative headquarters since the cooperative was founded. Um, Paul and Babe has been there, obviously, I think since 1937. Wow. Um, so um, we decided to put up a webcam, I want to say about 10, maybe 12 years ago, um, thinking that it would be a good way for us to continue our effort to you know support the communities we serve, but also give a, a way for those who maybe have lived in Bemidji or um, have traveled through um, a way to uh, reconnect um, with Bemidji without necessarily being here. Um, and uh, and so we found that to be really popular, surprisingly. Um, you know, we did it more out of... Uh, uh, of I guess community involvement and and uh, and the right thing to do per se, um, but uh, it had to be taken down for a couple of days because the chamber was under construction and they were inundated with complaints about where the webcam was and how come it wasn't there. So we found out that quite a few people actually go to it and it's 24/7 now. The statues are lit, so at night you can see, um, and so that's been really popular. And then we were approached by um, the DNR, um, who manages Itasca State Park and the headwaters of the Mississippi. Mississippi, it's where the Mississippi starts, um, to see if we could do a webcam for them. And so that took a little bit longer, um, more government regulation than anything else. Technically, it was not that difficult. Um, but uh, so we got that set up about um, two years ago. And that's been a huge hit as well, because, of course, that's uh, the headwaters of Mississippi. You can walk across it um, and it gets, you know, obviously tons of uh, tourists and, uh, and visitors every single year. Um, the only challenge with that one is that it isn't lit. So at night, once it gets dark, there's not anything you're going to be able to see. So it's a daytime webcam for the most part, although it is running 24-7. But they've really enjoyed that as well. Um, And so we've seen both become really successful as far as number of hits and number of viewers for both of their uh, websites. And the benefit to us is, you know, our logo is on the the video. um, And so people know who's supplying the webcam um, and and also, I think, can pinpoint back to who the local provider is um, in the region. And that's one of the more difficult things for us is just we're well known locally but if you're moving from the Twin Cities to Bemidji you might not realize that there's a local alternative to the bigger players um, that are also in the market. 
Sure, and that's an important um, way to uh, to differentiate there. We'll get into that in a minute. It's funny you say uh, about taking it down. Uh, when I worked for the newspaper, when I was in the newspaper business, the way that they gauged the popularity of comic strips was they would just take a comic strip out one yeah. Sunday randomly and then see what kind of complaints they got. And if nobody complained, then, you know, Hagar the Horrible or whoever it was wasn't coming back yeah. after that. So. Interesting, yeah. But, uh, you know, again, we, we had no idea how impactful it was until they went down um, at the chamber in uh, Paul and Babe. Um, but they're iconic. Both of those uh, locations within our service territory are iconic to the region and the nation. So, um, you know, it was a natural for us. Of course, it's led to many other requests for webcams. Um, and uh, and that's good. I mean, in the sense that people are thinking of us, um, but we've limited it to, uh, you know, those two iconic um, locations in our region, at least for now. Um, but uh, it really has seen, I think, a lot of public input. Um, you know, the chamber and the DNR absolutely love it. Um, and it's only, I think, helped tourism in both facets. Sure, sure. And for help with that, uh, uh, with the, all of those requests, we had an episode back in season one called "Saying No Gracefully," and I think that, that may be uh, you may you know may need some help with that. Uh, but let's move on to the next topic uh, because when we're talking about differentiators and kind of uh, uh, getting your product out there with folks, especially with transplants, um, Gigazone is the name that you guys have chosen for your gigabit uh, internet. So just tell us a little bit about how that uh, how, how you came to that name, how you use it, and then how the gigabit service rollout uh, went for you at Paul Bunyan. Sure. You know, I think it was uh, September of. 2015 um, that we um, we launched um, the service um, and uh, you know it was fun from a marketing perspective that's probably the most enjoyable part of the job is developing something new sure um, you know we uh, oftentimes you know you have to repeat and um, you know there's not a lot of originality sometimes in what you do because it's the same things that you're promoting year in and year out I mean you come up with some different ways to do that sure. um, but with the gigazone that was something brand new that I think really engaged myself as well as our graphic designer and our entire company because it was something new, which is exciting. Um, and of course, we were able to develop it from the ground up, which is also um, just a phenomenal experience. Um, I've been blessed to do that for our television service, which we started from the ground up, um, with our internet service, uh, which we started from the ground up years and years ago. Um, and so this is the most recent facet of that. But I always um, you know, get revitalized um, when, uh, when a new project like this comes up. So we were, of course, challenged to come up with a name for the, the service offering. Right. Um, and uh, in the realm, you know, now it's a little bit more busy. Um, but back then, it wasn't so busy as far as trying to select a name and what would be best. Now, in our particular situation, um, you, we knew it wouldn't be available to all of our membership immediately. It takes a while to roll it all out. We had to have fiber everywhere. Sure. And in, for the most part, we do now. We have about 95% fiber um, to the home. The last 5% going to be sealed up, hopefully, with fiber in the next two to three years. Um, but we knew that it would be one of those things that would be rolled out progressively in different areas. Um, and so um, the name itself, um, our general manager uh, and CEO came up with, we did a brainstorming session where each all wrote down different ideas for what we should brand it. Um, and then narrowed it down and narrowed it down and then the Gigazone was selected. And it's worked out beautifully because um, the marketing around it is you are in the Gigazone or you know, to find out when the Gigazone may reach you. Um, so it's all about more geography um, included in the service name, which helps us because there's, I mean, it's become a common name or common word in our region now. Um, so we created a new word for the, uh, I guess, northern Minnesota vernacular. But um, it's also been able to um, 
describe what it is. I mean, you know, it's gigabit internet, but can I get it? Am I in that zone that can get it? So um, it's it's been, um, you know, an awesome experience to be able to do it. Exciting from a marketing perspective. Um, and then to see the end results. I mean, it's just taken off. It's been huge, not only locally, but nationally. Um, we've gotten a lot of attention for what we've, do what we've been doing. Um, it's what we believe is certainly one of the largest, if not the largest, rural all fiber optic gigabit network. It's about... 5,000 square miles is wow. the area that we serve, So, and mainly rural. Um, and so it got uh, front page coverage on the Star Tribune when we announced, um, and we compared it to Google um, Kansas City, because of course everybody, I think, nationally recognizes that in the industry. Right. Um, and that was, I think, 129 square miles. It wasn't a very big area. It wasn't. Um, it, it had a lot of people in it. It's a more densely populated area, obviously. Um, but I think that really put it in perspective for a lot of folks when we announced this and compared it to that. Um, that really brings home just, I think, the, the incredible advancement um, that we're giving to our membership in our region, comparatively speaking. Um, and, uh, and it's just taken off from there. That's great. If we can go on a, a quick little side trail here, um, the media attention is something I know that a lot of rural telcos uh, that we work with have, have, have struggled with or have been, been trying to get that attention. What uh, were you kind of proactively going after uh, some coverage with the, the Star Tribune, of course, in Minneapolis, Star Tribune, the, the main paper here in, in Minnesota, Minnesota, right? Not in our region per se, but in Minnesota. Um, sure. What were you doing? Were you trying, were you working to, to gain that or did it just kind of fall into your, your lap to get that kind of coverage? Well, it's kind of a combo. Um, we definitely uh, sent out the information, um, worked it a little bit. I made a couple of phone calls, um, but at the end of the day, um, you know, it's up to them whether they're going to select it to be covered or not. And I think right. the important part was for us, um, because we had sent them a bunch of information, um, and not just them, national and, and local media, and it got picked up pretty much everywhere locally, um, it, not surprisingly. Right. I think they recognize the value of it and the uniqueness of what we're doing for our region, at least first. I mean, I, I would hope that this is going to catch on nationally and this is going to become more of a theme. Sure. Um, but in our region, I mean, there really wasn't a whole lot of people for us to turn to, even nationally, as to who's doing this in a rural area and how do you price it and what do you do? Um, but for the uh, Star Tribune in particular, we got the front page story of the statewide edition um, the day wow. after we announced, which um, was certainly... Um, awesome. Yes. But <laughs> yes. that uh, is, again, not something we control. Of course. Um, but I think the biggest key was the messaging that we gave because the reporters, and, and you can relate, um, get a lot of different emails and, every, and everybody wanting them to cover whatever they're doing. And I thought it was important for us to just compare it to what was existing, and there wasn't a whole lot existing, but Google Fiber was so nationally well-known, and sure enough, that's what I think did the trick, is when we compared it to Google Kansas City, that put it in perspective as to what we're doing. And then you throw in the fact that Minneapolis doesn't have this. Um, I think that that, um, that just added to the flair of how in the world is a cooperative in the middle of northern Minnesota doing this when others aren't? Um, but we are a cooperative, and I think that really helps um, in the fact that we're focused on just the area we serve. We don't serve you know, dozens of states, millions of customers. We serve our congruent area and all of our effort goes into that. So we're able to, you know, upgrade our network maybe faster. Um, certainly we're on the forefront of technology. We started in installing our all fiber optic network back in 2004. Wow. So when the GigaZone came to reality, we were ready for it. Um, and, and that's the foresight of our board of directors and management and our entire team that saw that that was going to be the future and was willing to take a risk um, and to, to make that investment 
investment early on. And now, of course, we're, we're reaping those rewards. But it was a risk because, of course, who knew what was going to be coming? We certainly feel that uh, fiber is the way to deliver the services now and into the future. It's so future-proof in a way, comparative to copper that we were using and certainly an old coaxial network. So um, the foresight helped, but once we got to the, the, the fact that we were going to be able to do this, the infrastructure was there, and that's key. So if you don't have the infrastructure and you want to offer gigabit internet, um, you've got to get rid of. You've got to get the infrastructure problem solved. Um, and for us, that wasn't an issue, thankfully. Although it is a little bit in that it's not available to all our members even today. We still have about five percent of our uh, geography that cannot get it. Um, but that comes with your marketing and messaging as well. And it didn't become available to the ninety-five percent that have it today immediately. Um, it was gradually rolled out over time. One. For us to control our install schedule a little bit, <clears throat> because right. you know you can get booked out for months, um, which is a great problem to have, but still, um, you want to try to manage that as best you can. Um, and then, too technically, I mean, there was some things we still had to do with the fiber network to make it GigaZone compatible. And so, while the fiber was in the ground, they still had to do some electronics and some other things to get it gigabit capable. Um, and then, um, you know, we also launched at the same time, which has been um, awesome, is our home integrated Wi-Fi which we provide through um, the network interface device on the side of the home. And then we have, you know, some alternatives if it's a larger home or concrete, you know, issues that way for Wi-Fi. We can do some repeaters and things that, that can give them a really great home Wi-Fi experience so they can maximize the gigabit internet speeds that they're getting, which... It was a natural for us because we hadn't offered it before. And how do you broach that with someone? Well, when they're coming in to sign up for gigabit internet, we have to tell them that you know some routers or most routers don't support these speeds. So you need to get either you, you need to check your router, see what it's capable of. But if you get our home integrated Wi-Fi, we can guarantee you it's going to be capable of the speeds that we can provide. And about 80% of the, the signups have taken our home integrated Wi-Fi. Initially offering it at launch was the key to that. If we offered it today for the first time three years later, or two and a half years later, not so much probably, because then you're you're going after people who've already engaged, um, and it's a lot more difficult sell. So um, overall, though, the uh, the GigaZone, from that perspective, it was the infrastructure that was key, um, and I know a lot of companies trying to get into it, that's where they're trying to catch up, and that takes, obviously, a lot of time and a lot of investment and can't be done overnight. Here we are 14 years later, and we're still not done. Um, and We've got just a little bit to go, um, but still, if you think about all the, uh, the size of some of the companies out there, um, you know, it could take a couple of lifetimes to get fiber to the home for some of the larger um, telcos in the world. Sure, definitely. And uh, just as a teaser to what's coming up for some of the other episodes, I know managed Wi-Fi, managed home Wi-Fi is, is a hot topic everywhere that I've gone uh, lately. So we're going to, uh, we've got, got a couple episodes planned um, here early on in uh, this season to talk more about that. Well, Brian, I appreciate uh, the insight on those first two topics, and I think what we're going to do is split this into uh, part one and part two. Uh, so thank you for joining us with this part, and, uh, and then we will we'll hop on to part two. So thanks uh, for that insight so far. You bet. And uh, I'm your host, Andy Johns. Until we talk again, keep telling your story. You've been listening to Story Connect, the podcast, a production of Word South, a content marketing company.